0: Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. Well, uh, a lot has changed in two weeks. Here in Rhode Island, we are tiny. We have a population of about 1 million. And as of today, we have 66 confirmed cases of COVID 19. School is canceled. So for me, that means that the course I'm teaching at RISD will now be held remotely and my students are all forced back home, literally all over the world. And it it also means that our four-year-old is home full-time with no preschool. So there's that. Uh, We've chosen cancel band practice, which is a bummer, but feels like the right decision. Uh, I am personally going super stir crazy, as I'm sure probably you are as well. Currently, we are spending a lot of time hiking and at the beach until I can only assume we are told that this is no longer an option and we have to shelter in place. Honestly, even though it's weird, (laughs) I felt most normal when I'm grocery shopping, it's like you get to actually see a person, even though you're probably closer to them than you should be. But it just feels like, oh, I'm doing this just regular normal thing that I do every day. So, I mean, yesterday they even had bananas, which felt like Christmas. It was amazing. Uh, so I, I'm i not a full-time musician, and I really, really uh, am feeling for my musician friends who are. I know so many people who are either like, They've either just released records, or they were planning to, or who had tours that they had to cancel midway through, or canceled now. I know that's the case uh, for our recent guests for Screaming Females. Uh, Marissa had to fly home mid tour. Alice Bag had a record coming out, and had a, had a tour planned. I'm assuming the record is still coming out, obviously, but the tour is canceled. Ava Mendoza had shows canceled. Rachel Bloomberg, I think maybe managed through the tail end of her recent tour, but had to come home to a totally new situation. As you know, for many, many musicians, that's basically their entire livelihood touring. People are not buying records. Maybe you've heard. Uh, <laughs> if you can, please grab some music or merch from musicians that you love. It would help them out a ton. I'm sure you're hopefully hearing this from a lot of places, but it really, I think, makes a big difference. So last week, Uh, An upcoming guest, Emily Harris from the Get Offset podcast, wrote an article on Reverb.com with more info about musicians' experiences and how to help. So please check that out as well. Uh, Venues are obviously closed down, and that's huge for them as well. Uh, I've seen some fundraisers going on for them, too, which is great for gear companies. I know some are closed, some are still open. I think it kind of depends on the situation. Regardless, uh, getting shipments out will obviously be a challenge, and presumably there will be a decrease in sales for them um, and for music stores as well. I know folks are working out some different you know, ways to bring in income, but it's, it's going to be a real challenge. So rough, weird times here. Luckily, we can still listen and we can still create, and even if there's you know, that's a little different for the time being, we we have that. So with that, I want to head into our interview with Alice Bag. This interview was from a little over a month ago. So obviously no discussion of COVID-19 or the current situation. So it's like a nice, like a 15 minute escape or perhaps a time capsule, however you want to look at it. Anyway, Alice, Alice is really the best. She's a literal punk legend. In 1977 in L.A., she was a member of the punk band The Bags, which I think were sometimes referred to as the Alice Bag Band, where they were featured in the seminal punk documentary, The Decline of Western Civilization. No big deal. Uh, if you want a real treat and you haven't seen it, please check out their their video from that. It will absolutely crush you. Alice is continuing to crush And everything in every single possible way, whether it comes to like rad records, collaborations with one jillion other musicians like Alison Wolfe and Kathleen Hanna or writing amazing books, documenting her life and the early punk scene through her social media, which she also does through her books. Or as of yesterday, I believe, putting out a punk rock exercise video on her Instagram feed because she's the best. So I think like her combination of really like true unbridled joy with her like music which is uh and her perform- performance style which are super aggressive it's it's really it's like the real deal all all, all of the things that you want together at once so uh take a listen to our interview i hope you enjoy it welcome to midriff thank you
1: thanks it's nice to be here thank you hillary
0: i'm it's nice to virtually be here with you as well across the country it's magic we live in amazing times
1: Uh, (laughs) i think the magic is that we were able to make this work at all i
0: know uh for listeners
1: challenges
0: Listeners, this is a gear podcast. Let's just say there were some um, gear snafus that occurred prior to this, but we hopefully have made it all work. And, you know, we're coming here today to you through the virtues of modern technology. Here we are.
1: And perseverance.
0: That's right. And heart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I wanted to start off quickly for folks who um, maybe aren't as familiar with with you, which if they're not, they should be because you are the best. And also, by the way, Possibly the nicest person I've ever met in my entire life. I don't know Aww. how it's possible
1: honestly, oh you're hanging out with the wrong people then <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll tell them you've said that uh, but they uh but honestly like I feel like every time I talk to you, I'm just like, Alice is the best um, it just makes me Aww, happy you. and feel better in my life so so thank you for being such a kind and great and generous person with your time and your life and experience and music so with that, thank you, you Hillary. Give- <laughs> you know, I
1: mean I it really it all it's all because you offered to play guitar with me. So you actually like you were the one who was nice to me. I was doing a reading and I asked you to learn some of my songs and play with me and the fact that you were so kind to me and agreed to do that is what propelled our our friendship.
0: Our friendship. I know it's, you know, it's really funny about that. I never check my Facebook memories. I almost always forget that they're even there. And uh, I just happened to look today and you know what popped up was a picture oh. from that show from us performing in the basement library. <laughs> 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 and, and it was literally eight years ago today. Oh my today, God. Wow. Today. I know what, isn't that wild?
1: Yeah. Uh, I know it, that's really cool.
0: Yeah, so eight years ago today, uh, that was when I first got to meet Alice, um, and you know, I I played some songs when uh, when you were on your book tour for for Violence Girl, and it yeah, was and I
1: love the fact that you were just like, yeah, I'm gonna learn this and I'm gonna play with you, even though we probably won't have a chance to rehearse together. We're just gonna dive in.
0: Well, the thing that's funny about that is that like I I don't consider myself like a you know a session musician or anything like that. Like I can barely read music at all. Uh, and so, so I know other people who can do that and like jump in and they, that's just their jam. They do that all the time. And I'm like, I'm not that person. So it was, uh, so I appreciate you taking a leap of faith on me. (laughs) I think it worked out. Then it was fun. So, okay. So with that, let's, let's go back in time for a minute. Maybe you want to, uh, introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, uh, a little bit about your background with music for folks.
1: Okay. My name is Alice Bag. I'm a queer feminist punk musician and author. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I got into punk rock in the mid-70s. I grew up in East LA. I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, and I still remember we had off-campus lunch, and I remember going to a the local liquor store and picking up a magazine that just said punk on the cover it was a punk magazine from New York and uh, I believe it was 1976 I was a senior in, in high school and that started my whole you know obsession with with punk rock and I and, we'll, and we'll then get into all I that I formed a band uh, and yeah
0: there's there's more but that's a great that's a great story I love yeah. just like the the visual of just a, a magazine <laughs> just says punk, and that's it. So, so that's a little bit about how you got started. Let's let. Right, what are you particularly working on right now?
1: Yeah, I uh, I just recorded a new album, and I I say just because it hasn't come out yet. I actually recorded it last summer, but it's been, you know, getting mixed, and I was looking for another record company. Uh, I love my old record company, but I wanted somebody local, and I have a really good company now that I'm loving working with. We have a lot of interaction. They're called In The Red. So I have a new album. I'm really excited about that, and it sounds a little bit different from my past two albums because I had an experience over the summer where I got to go to San Antonio and work with the ladies from the band Fair. And uh, we, they have a new guitarist. We started listening to some, some of their new songs. And uh, we drove together from San Antonio to El Paso to this like sleepover recording studio called Sonic Ranch. And we spent, oh you know, like a week there working on their new songs, recording their new songs. And that whole experience was so exciting for me Uh, all their songs were like upbeat punk rock but also they were so multifaceted you know it wasn't like you know one two three four like a lot of times I, I think that when people think of punk rock they think that it's very basic and that it has to not have a lot of depth and their music really did have depth it had like some really cool hooks it had some really meaningful lyrics and just a lot of nuance to it. So I was inspired to come home and record my own album and to also uh, try and keep it more punk rock, but multifaceted punk rock.
0: When you say multifaceted, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, what I mean by that is that like my past few, my past couple of albums, I've really left things wide open. I write my music on GarageBand and my GarageBand app, makes so I can use real instruments. I have like, I have lots of gear here at home that I record real instruments on, but I also have access to like a string quartet or, (laughs) uh, you know, Asian instruments that I don't even know the name of, right. Or, um, brass instruments and I can play them using the keyboard.
0: Yeah. Do you use, do you use the MIDI and, and so you're, So you're recording all of this as as sort of like a demo, then, or and then you bring it into another studio?
1: Yes. So I record. So I write the songs. uh, I I demo them using my GarageBand app, and I write all the different parts. And I, I feel like I'm arranging everything and getting it all just exactly how I want. And then I have to go out and record it in a in a regular studio with. And I want to use real musicians because you know you can't replace the feel of a real violin with uh you know, well I mean for me I, I like Depends what you're I going like for. People add their own flavor yeah no I mean I, I and I love <laughs> my demos too don't get me wrong I'm very happy with my demos when I present them but a lot of times somebody plays it and they just mm. play it in a slightly different way they add their own personal touches to it and um or they suggest something completely different and I love it so that's what I mean by like that was my experience with my past two albums is that I just would have Mm. no limits. I just left it wide open. And I ended up with stuff that was really, it required the listener to take a journey with me that some people might've been ready for. And some might've said like, why isn't (laughs) she doing her punk rock stuff? So for this one, I wanted to be able to have that versatility, but to keep it more honed in on the instrumentation that I usually use in live performances So uh, I had to figure out how to be more creative with less instruments. And also I decided to have like, instead of like, in the past, I have friends who sing and who have beautiful voices and can come in and like hit every note that I can't hit and do do my backups beautifully, right? But this time I just decided to ask my band because my band sings with Mm -hmm. me whenever we play live. And they kill it every time. It's like it's about their energy and their enthusiasm. And they know the song super well because they've been playing it on the road. So I wanted to have that this time. So even though um, we do have some harmonies, they're not as complex, but they're like, they just feel different.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds like, (laughs) yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I like the idea that you're like kind of putting some constraints on it as a way to like, kind of, um, in some ways, it's almost like a challenge or a test, but also in some ways, um, I don't know, makes you more creative because you're, you have to stick within particular, particular parameters um, when you're doing the writing. Uh, which I I love. I think that's a great experiment to do. To be like, okay, this is what it, <laughs> this is where what we're working with here. I'm not going to add a symphony. You know, how can we make the symphony or the feeling of the symphony with just a guitar or just you know whatever? So, um, I, I think that's great. Uh, I'm wondering if you know if when you if you're thinking about like the recording process compared to a live performance because you're doing a more live oriented record does that recording process is that going to be is that different then
1: yeah I think it is different I mean I like in the past I've really divided things up by like I would grouped songs and I chose my teams of musicians to work on particular songs based on what I thought were their strengths or the feel that they usually play so um this time I just used my band that I the one that I tour with most often I do sometimes go on tour and I have to use subs and usually it's just someone that's super talented and is willing to fill in with me. But um, I feel like my band that I tour with knows me really well because they've been, you know, they've been working with me, living with me, you know, spending a lot of time with me. So, um, so I feel that and they bring their own experiences to it. So, so yeah, it was a lot more of a band uh, of a band experience than other other things have been. Like you know, me and they're telling people, you know, here's I, like I'll, I'll write charts for them and I'll tell them exactly like sing this this way, use this instrument, um, and and this this one was much more. Um, I think there was much more band input.
0: It sounds more like collaborative and cohesive sort
1: of. Yeah, it was very, it was, I felt like it was more collaborative, but I'm still bossy, you know, I'm still like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm still in there with the, with the producer, uh, you know, saying like, let's use this, let's not use this, let's, you know, let's try this with this effect on it or, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's still a lot that can happen after you lay down, you know, an instrument, a track. Mm-hmm. That um, there's a lot of modification that can happen post the recording uh, that I've I've learned from just working with some really good producers. And my my favorite producer is Lisa Flores, who I've mm-hmm. worked on my last three records with.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have an uh, idea about the timeline for release? Do you know when that might be coming out?
1: Yeah, it's or... coming out in April. It's, hey, uh, April- that's coming right up. I know. I'm really excited. I'm going to have some videos coming up in uh, at the end of the month. I have my first video coming out. Awesome. Yeah. That's excited. super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there'll be marionettes in it.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even know I needed that, but I think I do. <laughs>
1: you do. Punk rock marionettes. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> Are those the main? That's the main projects so you said. You have some dates potentially coming up alongside that. I'm assuming to support that record. Yes,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so that's the other thing. Is just like um, we before we started recording, Hillary and I were talking about you know the grown up uh, version of a, of a rock tour is like okay, who can get who can run the carpool. Who's gonna sub for me at work? <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. so. Figuring all this stuff out is much more complex as you get older. And then, as like as I was saying, I am now not. I, I spent like 20 plus years being a school teacher and trying to book tours around like time my time off of school. Now it's like I'm pretty free. I can go anywhere. I can do whatever.
0: Everybody so. ready
1: to go? Come on! Yeah, let's, let's go. go. What do you mean you have to work?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I want to get in a little bit about talking about your experiences related to like gender identities and music. And I had um, a friend of mine, Denise, who has actually been my um, one of I had two folks that came in and replaced me at Girls Rock Rhode Island, which is now. Uh, Riot Rhode Island and one of them her name is Denise and she is awesome and when I told her that I was going to be interviewing you was so excited I and I said because she's just been following you for a long long time and and so and you know we it came up a number of times and so I was like do you have any questions for Alice because I I I feel like you have probably got some really good burning questions that you want to ask and um and she had a really uh, a number of good questions isn't it? and i'm going to start off with one of those and this is her sort of um preface to that and it says alice was the first uh, chicana femme who i felt represented my experiences as a mexican teen in la it was the too too weird emo dark lipstick for your mexican fam but too mexican for the white music scene situation <laughs> <laughs> So uh, her first question was, it says in your book, Violence Girl, you share a very vivid memory of being a teen in the 70s and getting to witness a public demonstration put together by the Chicano Moratorium Committee to fight the war in Vietnam and bring light to the high mortality among uh, Chicanx soldiers. Although you weren't able to join, it seemed like that moment was transformative for you in terms of identity as someone who identifies as Chicanx and uh, realizing the dangers that come with being a targeted minority and a group that was outspoken about injustice. So how does this frame the way that you would go about writing and playing music later on as a as a Chicana?
1: Well, I think that that experience was the first time that I realized that I was like part of a group that, that was being discriminated against. And uh, I think up until then, my world had been so small. I grew up in an area where, you know, it's, it's East LA, it's the barrio, There, everybody around me looked like me. I didn't know except from like television or maybe going to the doctor and everybody, you know, in positions of authority in my life was, did not look like me, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it started to, it was an awakening for me to realize that I wasn't seen the same way in what I considered my country. But I also had a very negative experience shortly after that, because I wasn't, I wasn't just a little brown kid. I was a little brown weirdo kid who (laughs) like, you know, was outspoken. I was awkward. I dressed funny. I, you know, I thought I was being fashionable when I like, you know, when I did quirky things. And um, so I also had an experience where I felt like, oh, I, I went up to a group that had set up uh, a Mecha counter. Mecha is this group of um, activists that work in schools and, um, and organized Chicanx kids to like do political actions, but also just to find out about their own identities and feel connected to the community. But I had this really bad experience where I was walking over to a table they'd set up at my high school, and and they started making fun of me and like saying, like, why are you dressed that way? And, And I felt like, wow, this is a group that I thought would support me, and they didn't support me. And at the time, I I stopped calling myself a Chicana for a while. I was just mm-hmm. like, that's not me. I'm, you know, a Mexican-American, and maybe I am not that. And it wasn't until years later that I decided, you know what, I'm not going to let that group of people define what it means to be Chicana, Chicano, Chicanex, whatever mm-hmm. the person wants to call themselves. It's not up to them to let me in. It's up to myself to claim it. You know, and Mm -hmm. so I claimed it. It's like, yes, you can be a weirdo, you can be queer, you can be punk, you can, you know, shave your head and, (laughs) or put day glow lipstick on or whatever it is, and still be just as committed to the cause as the next person.
0: Right. You get to claim. You get to. You get to define your identity. They don't get to define it for you.
1: Yes. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I answered your question. I think you did. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering too, so you've had like a variety of different identities and continue to like related to, you know, you're a young person in this like burgeoning punk scene. You were a teacher, a mother, activist, author, like all of these different identities. How has that, how has, have those identities played a role in your relationship to music as, as your identities have changed or grown or anything like that?
1: Well, I mean that there are times when I write about you know, from the point of view of those different identities. Like I was in a band called Stay-at-Home Bomb when I was a stay-at-home mom uh, for a very brief period of time, actually, because I was, even when I was trying to stay home with my daughter, I was working, I ended up working part-time. But there was a sense of uh, not being able to play the music that I wanted to play full-time and feeling feeling like I was going to detonate, feeling like... I was ticking inside because I was frustrated. So,
0: frustrated with that, with
1: frustrated with, with, with the inability to like have a life outside of motherhood. Like, I got felt it. like, you know, like motherhood was for me an all consuming experience. And even though my daughter, my daughters actually, because I have two st- daughters also. They are the most important things in the world to me. And I wouldn't give them up for anything and I wouldn't trade a moment of it. But the experience of motherhood for me was one where I felt like I didn't have time to to be creative. And for me, create being creative is like breathing. So for mm-hmm. a while I felt so like almost like dehumanized. <laughs> like I'm just yeah. I'm just a machine that provides life support. Right. And and it was, and it was very, uh, and I wrote from that perspective. Um, and of course now I'm like, Oh my God, I hope my daughter never hears those songs. because She's going <laughs> to think I hate her, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but I don't, it was just, uh, you know, I think people have to realize, especially the expectations of motherhood and, that we put on our ourselves and that society puts on us are so unrealistic. Not everybody mm-hmm. has, the experience of feeling supported and feeling, you know, it it can be a very lonely venture.
0: Right. Right. And it's, it's interesting too. I think that that is important in a couple of ways, first of all, and that you're talking about, like, you didn't feel like you were a full person, almost like you were, you know, and I think that like the importance of creativity in one's life and for making one into a person in some ways, letting someone have their full personal expression is so important and if you don't have that then you can really feel like you're just <laughs> you are a robot in some ways. Yeah. And then the community that that also well, alternately, the creative creative community that that can provide. Yeah, so if you're in a situation where you aren't able to experience those things as a lot of folks who are parents and a, a lot of times mothers in particular are, then that's that's going to be a real problem.
1: Yeah, and I mean and also I was not surrounded by family at that time. Mm. I I have my community was musicians who were all out playing at all hours of the night, not really available to like come and sit with you at the park. (laughs) Right. While your kid (laughs) plays on the swings. So it was, it was like, you know, and it was once again like looking online and trying to find like, Oh, can I find a a group of parents that I want to hang out with at the park or to have a pay play date with? Right. So anyway, sorry. I know I'm getting off topic here. No, 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 this no. Is this was supposed is all... to be about gear. It is about <laughs> gear. We're totally talking about
0: gear. Okay, let's let's just jump into that. Okay. Uh, how? So you've talked a little bit about GarageBand and a bit about your writing process. So can you talk a little bit about your general, like your your relationship with gear over the years? Like where you were when you first started out, where you are now with it.
1: Yeah. Oh God, my relationship with gear was always like. I was scared of it. I was like, oh, this is, this, I, I, I totally bought into like the mystique of the male expert, you know, mm-hmm. you'd see like, mm-hmm. I cause I, I'd see a band and it was like these guys pushing pedals, turning knobs, doing, you know, it was, it was a mystery. And I, and it was also like the jargon that I didn't understand. If you, if you actually spoke to one of these musician male expert guys, it was just like, oh my God, what's, what's that person talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really felt like very intimidated at first. I remember going with Patricia to, Patricia was my first bassist and a real band that bought her this huge road amp. And um, I have, a. I, remember, I had
0: a road amp. Yeah. They, oh my God. It was like a block. They're huge.
1: Of, yes. It was, it was like was a, huge. was it a 118 or something? Oh God. I don't remember. I, have, I don't like remember the, the, cab the number, was- but,
0: huge (laughs) the
1: cab was huge and it was really heavy Mm -hmm. and I just remember like the guys at the at the store kind of like snickering you know and and as she and I you know took a side and like lifted it out and took it home (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that was my first experience my first experiences in a music store were of like you know kind of being ridiculed in a very like underhanded sort of condescending way for daring to think that we could buy equipment and play music,
0: what kind of things would they like? How you say it was kind of condescending. What kind of things were happening?
1: Well, the incident with Patricia was very early on, but I actually have another experience that I that I remember more clearly. And this was when I was in I was in this band called Cholita with um, Vaginal Cream Davis and mm-hmm. Fertile Latoya Jackson, and Fertile and I at I was the musical director of that band. <laughs> 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 so basically Cholita existed as a performance group before it existed as a band. But once I joined, I started writing music. And I and because I played guitar, I was I, I wanted to play live. So um I had a bass and I brought my bass up to Fertile Jackson and I told I taught her how to play how to play the songs that we were playing, which is, you know, the punk rock way to do it. That's <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so we'd been playing shows and, and we were, everything was going well and we were going to play the uh, New Music Seminar in New York and it was like so exciting for us that Fertile decided she was going to buy her own bass. So we went to Guitar Center and no sooner had we walked in than this like, you know, condescending, snobby guy comes up and starts like, asking uh asking fertile what kind of base he wanted to play right and mm-hmm. um and just kind of like going right over right over their their heads right just saying stuff like oh this one is played by so and so and just you know giving the spiel giving like so much information that was unnecessary instead of just saying here are the bases you know sit down and place a few and see which one you like or so eventually the person that was working at the guitar center left us alone for a little bit and Fertl started playing the Cholita songs which were very basic and you know and the salesman is like kind of ignoring us and then every now and then would come by and like try and bamboozle us and finally Brittle find found a base that she wanted to buy, and the the salesperson was just like, "Well, okay, so this is a good one for you know for a beginner, but maybe you know this um or I'm sorry, this is a good one for like somebody who's playing out, but maybe you need more of a beginner base, right? And they're like, "What? Where do you play? It's like mostly like in you know your living room or garage or a student or whatever." And we're like, "No, we played, and then we started listing the places we played, which were all like." reputable places and we're Mm -hmm. we're going to New York and playing the new music seminar and then I just loved the moment when Fertle turned to the salesperson and said where do you play and it was like oh no I'm not in a band right now and I'm like it it felt so good because his attitude changed and it was just like don't assume that because we're playing simple parts or because we look as different than you or because for any reason, don't make assumptions about us. Sell us the damn bass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man, that's a good one.
1: <laughs> yeah, just do your job. We're not here to be judged.
0: Uh, so what's your setup now? So I know you play a number of instruments, but you're predominantly singing right now. What yes. What's your general setup right now?
1: My general setup is a set of earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I just, I don't have. I mean, I would love to have my own, like in ear monitors and my a special microphone, but I, I don't. I'm bad that way. I just show up to a club, use whatever they have, and complain about the monitors and put a ear plug in. So I'm very, <laughs> i I know I should be better. That's do you do you
0: thing. bring your own mic?
1: I don't. I, I don't. see. I my have, only
0: concern about that is even less about. M- less about sound and more about germs Hygiene? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah I know I I should bring my own mic I mean my I also have bad experiences with like losing my mic or forgetting it in the heat of the moment just yeah. forgetting to take it off they're um, so
0: small if, if it's like if you're if you're responsible for this one thing this one tiny thing I feel like it's very easy to forget
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I do I get like I don't know. I, sometimes I'm on stage and I just go into like this, like out of body experience where I feel, mm-hmm. I forget. Like often I will have my drummer cause I always put my purse down by her drum set and she'll come up to me and say, Hey, you forgot your purse. You left it by the drum set. <laughs> so so that's how I have forgotten my, my microphones before so I don't always take my mic
0: maybe it's like sunglasses like if you get a little bit less expensive microphone then you're gonna have it forever and you'll never be able to be able to get rid of it but if you buy an expensive one you'll immediately lose it
1: I know maybe it is <laughs> yeah but I don't see I don't have that much to talk to about talk about in terms of a microphone I was I, and I, fe- well, I feel shame too because no like, you know I, I see people who come I was playing with Alison Wolf for a while we were in mm-hmm. a band together and she would come over to rehearsal and she had this, this whole little contraption that she's, she had like her pedals that she would you know put echo and delay and stuff on her voice just for rehearsal I'm like wow mm. dang girl you are like showing me up
0: <laughs> I mean it's I think some of that is personal preference too though cause sometimes you're like well you know you get a different experience when you're playing and during practice than you do on a stage anyway. And it kind of like amplifies that when you're on stage.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I probably should own it. I I should have more control of my own sound. I've seen bands that are local bands. They're not like huge acts that like come out and they have their own little like monitor system and in-ear monitors. And I love that. And I'm jealous.
0: But sometimes it's overkill. You don't always need that, right? Like you can operate perfectly fine without an in-ear system.
1: No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe.
1: <laughs> I don't but know. I, I don't it, know because I never never listen to myself after I'm off stage. It's like I don't want to hear any recording. Who needs uh, to bother? Uh, it's fine. No. <laughs> but
0: but I think that's an it's an interesting thing too because I do feel like the the experience that one has singing in a band versus playing a a different instrument is unique,
1: right? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, even like when I've, I've been in bands where i played guitar and sang, I just feel like uh, I'm thinking about different things at once. You know, I'm like thinking about my guitar chords. And I'm thinking about my vocals. And I really, when I, I think I've realized that I feel most immersed in the music when I don't have to think about anything except connection with, my connection with the audience, which mm. to me is the most important thing about the performance. So hopefully I've gotten to the point where I've practiced enough that I know the song well enough to pull it off. But even if I don't, and oftentimes I, I come in at the wrong place or I'll wait two bars instead of four or eight instead of two, <laughs> you know, and and my band knows me well enough to cover for me. But then there's this acceptance of the live performance as like a live performance is an interaction with human beings who might feel it differently at a different point in time. So I has have just learned to embrace the live performance with all its uh, unpredictable beauty and ugliness. Yeah. I
0: mean, and that's kind of what people go to live performances for, right? Like if you went up and just did exactly what the record is, like that's not going to be fun or interesting. Right.
1: <laughs> well, you know, what's really funny is I, I remember having an experience at a concert once where there was a a person who a friend of mine closed her eyes and, during the concert and said if you close your eyes it sounds just like the record and i'm like why would you close your eyes <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: at a that's concert. the point <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah unless you're doing some sort of like noise performance or immer- a yeah, thing like that i don't know why yeah closing your eyes doesn't seem like the <laughs> the right answer there But But you know what? I'm not one to judge. No,
1: yeah. If you want to close your eyes, go ahead. But what I don't... Okay, so I I know this is not part of your interview, but I just have to put this in there. I cannot understand why people will watch the whole performance through their phone instead Mm. of experiencing the... There's like a filter. It's like watching it through a filter instead of just connecting with performance in real time. And I don't know. Yeah.
0: That's a whole other philosophical discussion that we could get into. It's, it is wild. Like how, I mean, and I think that in some ways using gear that makes you feel comfortable can allow you to be in your, um, in the experience in a way that is useful in the way that using a phone to capture the experience takes you out of it. It's almost the reverse.
1: Yeah, and I, you know what, and I do understand I have a actually have a friend who is very self conscious and feels like being behind the camera allows her a sense of anonymity and detachment that she Mm. that makes her comfortable. So I guess I I shouldn't judge people. I just, uh, (laughs) I just
0: Well, no, it's almost like it allows people a role, you know,
1: yeah. Yeah, it can. I don't okay. know. <laughs> I won't be so judgy. <laughs> no, no, no. I
0: I am on your side as far as this is concerned. I I mean, you could talk around it forever as to you know whether it's a benefit or not. I do understand why some people use it. I think some people are doing it not for that reason, and that's a whole other conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's just hard for me to relate to because so much of what I do is not about a performance it's about an interaction it's not like Mm -hmm. I didn't rehearse these songs to stand up here and like try to sing them beautifully for you I came I rehearsed these songs so I could come out give you my message and you know have an experience where we connect and feel each other's energy and you know it's more basic I guess Although basic has the wrong connotation at this point. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I it's a, it can feel more intense, I guess, perhaps if yeah. it doesn't have that filter in between. I you know, you, you mentioned you have all these different experiences you had around like teaching, but you're also an activist. I'm thinking about where, where that line is, you know, so you're doing teaching, you're doing activism. When you're dealing with someone who is making an offensive comment to you in some way or like doing some sort of other offensive behavior, um, whether that's like when you're performing at a show or at a you know music store or something like that. How do you weigh how much you want to teach in that moment versus how much you want to engage in activism and, and how those things are related or not related?
1: Well, it's interesting that you said that because I think there's times when I just want to like punch somebody, you know, there's that, let's not exclude that option. There's times right. when I just feel like raw anger and I don't want to teach. I just want to like retaliate. Right. So I, over the years, I've, you know, tried to figure out like, what is the best way to deal with this? And it's not always retaliation. Although sometimes I feel like I'm going to pour this water, this bottle of water on your head until you cool down and stop. <laughs> Annoying me. Uh But, you know, I don't really get, I don't get heckling on stage. I did recently have an experience where somebody was telling me what they wanted to hear, asking me what to play and like talking when I was talking. And I thought that they were being out of line. And Mm -hmm. so I, I just stopped and said, you know, I know I hear you. I see you. I know you have something to say, but this is my moment on stage and I have something that I want to communicate we you and i can talk later and and that worked you know i don't know that's I, almost I like the teacher
0: if... thing where you where you just you stand in front of the audience very quietly until everyone else is quiet
1: <laughs> yeah no it's and it's sometimes <laughs> i think people just want to be seen and want to mm-hmm. be acknowledged and i'm okay with acknowledging them and also you know, i'm okay with disagreeing with people you know like i don't say stuff that is going to be palatable to anybody to to everybody A lot Mm -hmm. of times I'm shouting my own beliefs and somebody might get up and shout back. A lot of times I think I am angry and aggressive enough that people don't do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I put them off or if, you know, maybe they weigh their options and figure it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. You have have the microphone. (laughs) I have the microphone and I also have... I, I grew up in an abusive household, and I have rage, and I have anger management issues. So, as much as I am a grown-up and I work actively work not to get out of control, and let my my rage come out and uh, destroy, you know, the human connection I'm trying to make, I also have a limit. And there's times when, like, if you push me, I'm going to push back. So people need to know that about me. It's not. It's <laughs> not. I, I'm not. I'm not by any means. Somebody that it's safe to fuck around with, if I may be so bold. <laughs> I don't no, know if I can say that I appreciate that, on your that
0: boldness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's that's the thing, right? So I feel like people are having these experiences, and it's like, you know, there's all these different directions you can go with handling this, right? And it's like, I don't have time to educate you right now, and I'm really pissed, and I'm on stage with a mic here we go. Right? Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of times that happens also not on stage, you know, just in the audience. There's Mm -hmm. been times that I've been, you know, I'm standing watching a show and some like tall dude will come up and stand in front of me and then knock my drink out of my hand or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, or so, I mean, I probably shouldn't be near the front of the stage with a drink. Okay. I'll accept that (laughs) responsibility. But the other way that can go is like, I dump my drink on your head. Or right. I push you like there's there's other other scenarios that are open to me, and I like yeah. to keep my options open. Yeah,
0: there's a wild world of options here uh, <laughs> that can be effective in very different ways for different reasons. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I just have a couple more questions here. I wanted to know if you were speaking directly to folks in the music industry, someone who had like some sort of power position, whether it's a venue owner, someone who runs a gear company, music store, something like this, and they really wanted to make some sort of change. What would you recommend that they do to make change to increase equity and diversity in those spaces?
1: I, I think it's, I mean, it's as easy as hiring the people that create the, that change. I think you have to sh- people have to know it's okay for me to be here because there's somebody else that's here like me. You know, you don't want to walk into a room and be like the only queer, or the only brown person or the mm-hmm. only woman, you know, then even if people say, oh, you're welcome here, you don't feel it. You don't see anybody like you. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: you need to attract what you want. You, you have to, to show it first, either hire these people and make, it, make a statement by doing that that you want more of it.
0: Right, great. I'm also wondering, this is kind of a follow-up from a question that Denise had, but I think it's related. What words of encouragement would you give to musicians who are cis women, trans, non-binary, uh, and also folks of color who feel who might feel isolated playing uh, in music spaces as a minority?
1: I think it's about going into a space and making it your own and don't feel... Shy to be the first, and instead of feeling like maybe I don't belong here, to think like I'm the first, or maybe you know I'm one of a few, but I'm opening doors for other people. So, I think if you think of yourself as like you're having a dinner party and you're hosting people, you're coming in, your presence, you know, is in effect an invitation to others like you, it, and that is from it that actually comes from like being an awkward person. Sometimes I go into situations where I don't know anybody, you know, I'll go to my husband's business meeting or business dinner or something. And I don't feel like I really know anybody very well. So one of the tricks I use is to step into like the hostess shoes and be like, Oh, hi, I'm this person. Have you met this other person? Do you know each other? And like kind of being, be playing a role as like a role that I'm really not (laughs) where I'm really, I know I'm outside of my, of my, role as the newcomer but instead i take on the role as the uh, facilitator
0: like flipping it almost yeah Yeah. that's awesome that's a really interesting and a you know thoughtful technique i think if people are able to feel comfortable doing that that it's great
1: yeah and and not everybody's going to feel comfortable but i think sometimes if you do it you get more comfortable
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is coming. I don't know why this keeps coming back because I feel like for me when I go to parties, i like i ha- I like having a theme or an activity for that reason, and I feel like almost having that specific role, yeah, you know, can you get can you outside yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, for sure. okay, so uh are there any questions that I missed that you feel like I should have asked you so far?
1: No, I have, yeah, yeah, I actually, I was thinking in terms of like gear and I have questions about, I'm just at the point where I'm finally having to deal with like renting tour gear because I've always Mm. toured with other bands that are local or near like the area where I'm touring and Mm -hmm. borrowed their gear, but now I'm in a position where I have to think about renting tour gear. Where do you find out mm. about that, Hillary?
0: There's a bunch of different places, right? Like, <laughs> uh, I feel like they're in definitely in like larger cities. I know there's a number of them in California, which is probably not super helpful to you. I know locally to us, there's one in Boston. Another thing that I think um, a lot of the girls rock camps do is they would actually rent those out as well. Oh, good to know. Yeah.
1: That's good to know because I'd rather support Girls Rock Camp if I can.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I, you'd have to work out the logistics, but there there are backline companies that that exist out there that I think specialize in that, but it has to be based out of a usually based out of a larger city. That's my understanding.
1: Cool, that sounds yeah, great. But I've also been
0: mostly yeah. in your situation where you know either I'm bringing it with or borrowing borrowing another band's. So, uh,
1: and the other thing I wanted to say was. In terms of Girls Rock Camp, because we do have that in common also, is that Mm -hmm. um, something that I learned from Girls Rock Camp that I really needed, and it took me a while to learn it, is that it doesn't bite, it doesn't break, you can mess around with it, you can experiment with it. Like learning to make gear, like demystifying gear is such a big part of Girls Rock Camp that there's like a whole generation of Female musicians that were not taught, or were not given the permission—I guess—or we felt like we didn't have permission to touch all the knobs.
0: Like, yeah, it's always about all the knobs. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like, you know, knobs are
0: scary. Yeah, I feel like you feel like that for if you're not—I—I I also had that experience when I was younger, being scared of the knobs. So yeah. I feel like the the demystification of of knobs is, is yeah, super important.
1: Yeah, and gear in general, you know, it's mm-hmm. just the—it's a toy. If you think of mm-hmm. it as a toy and it's, it would be really hard to break it, then I think you give yourself permission to really create something new and exciting. Yeah.
0: Not making it some sort of like special, fancy, precious thing that only certain people can have access to or knowledge of.
1: Yeah. You know, I I mean, I remember like going to show and seeing like, you know, somebody's pedals and seeing like, oh, what level are they using it at? Where are their Mm. buttons? If I want to get that sound, if I want to get a, you know, I have to put my, levels at these same markings right instead of like just going home and trying a bunch of different things I was like trying to duplicate a sound now that I know better it seems silly but when you're when you're just starting your experiences with gear you might feel like there's a right way and a wrong way but um there isn't
0: yeah no right way no wrong way everyone everyone can do it whatever way they want and that's part of the process yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing that up because I feel like that's something that I uh, is so so important and is really is a huge part of the work that Girls Rock camps are doing. I'm wondering if you have other folks that you think that I should interview.
1: Yeah, I have a whole bunch of folks I think you should interview. <laughs> Why don't you Do give you me want... like three tops? Okay, uh, I would say Lisa Flores,
0: mm-hmm. who
1: is a musician, producer, songwriter guitarist she does all kinds of things lisa flores is great i would say Carrie from liberturets oh you know who i would love for you to interview is amy from amon sniffers
0: okay those are a few names that's great nice job that was <laughs> that was great yeah i'm psyched to to get a chance to talk to those folks at some point that would be awesome
1: how about fair too interview fair do you do whole bands You know, I haven't done that.
0: There's there's a technology piece to that that I have to figure out. But uh, if I can figure that out, I would love to, for sure. Just as far as like getting everybody's levels the same and using multiple microphones at once. So,
1: Okay, I'm going to suggest one more person. Okay, Amber from Fatty Cakes. She's the lead singer and uh, lead electric ukulele player in Fatty Cakes and the Puff Pastries. A really cool band.
0: Perfect. We have not had, I've not had a ukulele player on yet, so that actually is a great idea for a number yeah. of reasons. Yeah, cool. That is great. I want to make sure that I have some way that listeners can stay in contact with you. Can you give them uh, all of your pertinent information?
1: Ah, uh, my pertinent information. Let me see. Well, which I will um, also
0: I will also include in the show notes. So,
1: okay. Uh, well, I have a website, alicebag I'm also on Instagram, alice underscore bag. On Twitter, Alice Bag. On Facebook, Alice Bag. And that's it. I know there's some new thing. Oh, I know there's other accounts that I don't use as
0: much. You don't need to have a TikTok account or anything yet, I think. Yeah, I know. I you do I...
1: such a great job with your uh, social media
0: <laughs> that you don't need any other platforms for now
1: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> as I know, your social my, media my manager. Was, my daughter was shaming me the other day because I didn't know what TikTok was. And I, we, somebody mentioned it. And she's like, ah. It's only the biggest, most popular social media site. So yeah. I mean, sure,
0: it'd be great if you used it. But you do such a great job with the things <laughs> that you're on. I think I think it's great. So if you, if anybody is not currently following you on Facebook or Instagram, I. Probably Twitter. I don't do Twitter. See, there you go. Yeah, we all have Uh, our favorites. There you go. See, then I I really implore you to check out Alice's social media presence. Always so much interesting information. Just such an amazing archivist and documentarian as well. Of you know both your life, but also like the early punk scene more generally. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Really.
1: Thank you. Yeah. and keep a, keep an eye out for my new record and an ear open for it too
0: yes and all the videos i'm excited for all of this i want to see some yes. marionettes yes <laughs> things are going to get real really soon
1: mm-hmm. probably right when this comes out right when this podcast comes out
0: yeah uh thank you so much alice you are one of my favorite people i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today
1: Oh, thank you. It was great talking to you. I look forward to hanging out with you again soon.
0: Please, yes. What an absolute pleasure to get to talk to Alice. She is a dream, and hopefully after we all quarantine for a few weeks, can, we can get back to some semblance of normalcy and you can check out check her out on tour. In the interim, the aforementioned Red Marionette video for her song Breadcrumbs has been released. Her album, Sister Dynamite, is coming out in April. There are links to all of Alice's social media, website, and other mentions in the show notes. Usually now, I would be getting into another topic of some sort, but today I'm going to just leave it here. (laughs) We're all tired. That's plenty. Um, in the inter, so I, I guess I will add. I did write a blog post last week about the importance of community agreements in the time of COVID nineteen, uh, with links in the show notes to that as well. I think it's important for us to think about how we're going to be or exist together in this new reality, and community agreements, or like the creation of shared sets of expectations for our new virtual spaces, our families, our neighborhoods everywhere uh, is crucial for us as we move forward in this time and of course they all of the all of those community agreements are and I would say across most spaces are applicable and useful in regular times as well if you enjoy the show please take a sec to subscribe rate or review wherever you listen to podcasts it helps others find out about the show as well So thank you so much for listening and uh, please stay safe and healthy.